I love that song that we just sang. Pretty well says it all. There is God up in the azure blue. In him we live and we survive. People in the Bible study pretty well know how I'm going to start this off. I came across a bumper sticker that says there is a uh, summing up the entire life of man. Many who seek God at the 11th hour of their life die at 1030. And that's really what we look at. Today, the theme, the thought for this morning is, it will be worth it. Or you could ask the question, was it worth it? We often hear the question. We may be asked, well, was it worth it? I remember when I was young, I may have done a couple things that displeased my parents. I remember back in the day, and I don't think I was beat or um, to the point that people talk about how you should not, you know, hit your children and so on. Yes, I was punished. And after that punishment, which usually fit the deed, I'd have to say now, you'd ask the question, well, after you got beat, was it worth it? Did you enjoy what happened there? Well, we can ask these questions. I'd like to ask a few people biblically. First, I'd like you to turn to Genesis chapter 2. These are all, these are things that you'll know. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, we can ask Adam and Eve, was it worth it? Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for the food in the middle of the garden, where the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Then we look at verses 15, 16, and 17 of Genesis 2. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Finally, we know the conclusion. We can go to Genesis chapter 3 and verses 2 through 6. And the woman said to the serpent, We may not eat the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. A little footnote right here. That's where Satan came in conflict, wasn't it? Satan wanted to be like God, but yet he opposed. He's the opposite, the verses. You have the protagonist and the antagonist. Now we go back to reading. What does he say? That you would be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, 
pleasant to the eyes. I'd like to stop right there. How many times in life do we do things because it looks good? Or people say, well, make you feel good. The desire that looking good, the pride of life. It was pleasant to the eyes going back. And a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband when, and, and, and he took from her and he ate. Was it worth it? I'm sure in hindsight, they would say no. We think of the rich man and Lazarus. We think of the rich man spoken of, and now he's in torment. He lived his life thinking, wow, this is great. Lazarus, a beggar, looking for the mere crumbs off the floor like a dog would eat. But yet, he ends up, the rich man ends up in a place of torment. In hindsight, he asked, let me go back and warn my brothers. But what was the answer? They are being warned. There's prophets. Jesus himself has taught. What if I just have a little full drip of water on my tongue? You would ask the question. Was his life worth it? You have the answer in the rich man's own voice. No, it wasn't. One, he wanted to warn his brothers. Two, just a drop of water to cool his tongue. You can ask Noah. Let's go to Genesis, you know, going back to Genesis, verses 5, 6, and 7. Chapter 6, 5, 6, and 7. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man. It was so great in the earth. And that every intent, the intent, every intent of the thoughts of man in his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he even made man on the earth. And the Lord was grieved in his heart. So what do we know? The Lord says, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have even made them. How would we have felt? How devastating it would be to have our own father, our own earthly father say to us that he regrets the day that we were born. Here our heavenly father regretted even making man. And then in Genesis chapter 7, verses 19 through 20, 22, 19 through 22. Now the flood going on with the continue with Noah. The flood was on the earth 40 days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth. And the ark moved upon the surface of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth. And all the high hills under the whole earth were covered. The waters prevailed 15 cubits upward, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And every man and all the, and in all nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life. All that was on the dry land died. You ask, all those people in that time of Noah, was it worth it? 
Noah worked for 120 years building the ark. Talking, teaching. He and his family were saved. You could ask Noah, was all that work worth it? Definitely to him it was. Depends on what side you're on. What about Job? Go, now I'd like to say, you know, and we could continue on and on and on, of course. You could go to Job and, and his wife saying, curse God and die. But we know that Job would not turn from God. I like to look at Jesus's, how did he start off his ministry? Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. Jesus starting his ministry says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. I can stop right there for a moment. Many people in life say, well, why does this have to happen? Why does this have to happen to me or those that I love? We don't understand. But if Jesus is saying, blessed are those that are persecuted for these trials and tribulations, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you're involved and the people persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for Jesus' sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For they, for they that persecuted the prophets went before you. We ask, will it be worth it? And I think the answer for all of these would say, it will all be worth it when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face and all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Jesus. We think about the song, I can only imagine. I know when I hear the words of the song, it makes you think for a moment and ponder that thought. What it would like, what, what it will be like when that day of judgment comes. Will I stand before Jesus? Will I sing? Or will I just, you know, kneel and fall and sit there in awe? I can only imagine what it would be like on that day. Some of the Jewish Christians to whom the letter of Hebrews was written were not sure that it was really worth it all to continue following Jesus. Think about it in their lives. As Jews, <coughs> pardon me, they had endured cruel persecutions at both the hands of the Syrians and the Romans. But after they had become Christians, the persecutions were even worse than before. Not only were they being persecuted by the Romans, but now as Christians, they were also being persecuted by the Jews, their own fellow Jews themselves. So all through the letter of Hebrews, the author seeks to encourage them to help them understand that being a Christian is really worth it all. He reminds them that those who have been faithful to God have always faced persecution 
But the end result will be a victorious victory, even beyond imagination. We can only imagine. We think about Revelation, be thou found faithful unto death. Why? To receive that crown of righteousness. In Hebrews, we've studied where we're studying in our Bible study on Sunday morning. We'd encourage, you know, each of you to be with us and, and go through our study in Hebrews 11, 32 through 34. The writer tells us these words. More, what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and uh, Jebeth, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, who administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who clenched the fury of the flames, and who escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, and who routed foreign armies. He continues with the words in verses 36, 37, and 38. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. <laughs> they were put to death by stoning, and they were sawed in half. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins. They were destitute persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. And then in the next few verses, he tells them to do three things, and that's what I'd like to look at for the rest of the sermon. Do three simple things. One, remember your heritage, where you came from. Many of us are proud people. Many of us are proudly say, I'm Italian, I'm Irish, I'm English, or whatever. Many of us have that proud heritage of where we came from. Number two, throw off everything that hinders. Simple thought. If it bothers you, if it's a hindrance to you, get rid of it. And number three, fix your eyes, have a goal. Talk about in school, personal life. Everybody says, well, what is your goal? Where are you headed? What do you expect to have done? Our goal should be heaven. Set your sights on things above, not on things below. So we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. So listen with me, or read with me, as we go to chapter 12 of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12 in the first three verses tell us the following. Therefore, since we are all surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Jesus scorned its shame, and he's now seated down at the right hand on the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, 
so that you will not grow weary and that you will not lose heart. <coughs> Pardon me. What a heritage is ours. You think about all those heroes of faith that went on before us. We think about the heritage we have. To be called a Christian. Christian comes from the word Christ. There's great pride in being a Christian. Christ-like. To follow Jesus. That heritage we have. The heroes that fought this battle before us that we study throughout the Bible. We're going to be studying in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, these people did these various things. We need to remember our heritage. Paul tells them in Hebrews that it is important for them to remain faithful because of the example given before them, because of the witness that all went on before them. Betrays. We think about this Labor Day that we just had being similar not quite like Memorial Day, but a lot of times people confuse them. Memorial Day beginning summer, Labor Day kind of semi-marking the end of summer. We think about Memorial Day and remembrance of those that we that went on. We have battles going on daily. I know any young individual that I write to, um, we do text message, email back and forth. And he's on a naval ship right now with a whole group of men you know, uh, de- being deployed again because of all the disturbance going on overseas. We think about the battles going on, those that have lost their lives in battle throughout the years. And we think about in remembrance of them. We think about that heritage, the freedoms that we have here in the United States. I remember a time when many of uh, my family members rented several cabins down in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, for a vacation. And of course, we took a lot of pictures. And on the last day together, we decided that we wanted a picture of all of us together. But who would take the picture? Well, one of us had a camera with a delay system on it. We could push the button, and then everybody would run over and pose. And the camera would go off. Well, we used that camera. So there was 23 of us in all, standing with our arms around each other, with smiles frozen on our face, waiting for the camera to click. A few moments passed, and then somebody in the group said, I didn't hear it click, did you? Did anybody hear it click? So we all stood there, not daring to move, but becoming acutely aware that people walking by who couldn't see the camera We're just staring at us. I'm sure they're eventually wondering, what in the world is wrong with these people? All they saw were 23 people with their arms around each other, standing there, not moving, with big smiles on their face. Well, why would we care about what those people thought about us? Some people would say, oh, I don't care what they think about me. But we are concerned about what people think about us, don't we? I realize that there are some that say, I don't care what anybody thinks. But deep down, most of us care. We want to be respected. We want to be appreciated. And when the author of Hebrews here speaks about a great cloud of witnesses, I believe he is saying that there is a great host of people who have already experienced even worse trials 
and temptations. I think about how terrible my life is when I sit there and have a little pity party for myself. But then when I look at the trials and tribulations that other people have, we think, my life is nothing compared to what many people go through. I have aches and pains. I'm going to start having shots put in my back. Um, I'm starting to have, you know, disc problems in my back. And I could look in the audience and ask it. I'm sure a lot of people have gone through that, whether it be their hips. We have individuals with foot, hips, back, things that they've already experienced. I look at other people and I think, you know, mine's not so bad, is it? We think about all those that went on before us. I think about those early, you know, I think it was Peter that was crucified upside down. First off, the crucifixion, but he didn't want to be like Jesus. You know, Jesus was far more higher than him that I believe he was crucified upside down. These people that were talked about being sawed in half. The cruelness. You know, I'm, my wife and I are right now doing that reading of the Bible. I have to admit, I don't know that I've ever listened or read through the Bible all the way entirety. You know, I, I pick up pieces and bits and pieces. I, I praise all of you that start and go through. And that's something that I got to get better at. But when you read the Old Testament, the cruelty of those people, or even in the time of Jesus, the cruelty and what people went through. But those people that went through all those trials and tribulations are a heritage to us. When we say we're a Christian, we're identifying ourselves with Paul and Peter and John and and James and all of those that went on before us, David and, and so on, Job. However, we must recognize that the people around us, our family, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, they're all watching us too. How we live, what we say, what we do. And maybe even more than we realize. And I ask the question, what are they seeing in us? At the end of our life, when all we have left, look back. I've done funerals. And we always talk about the dash is the most important. What have you done between the time you were born and your death? What is that dash? And then you ask yourself, all that life I have lived, was it worth it? Do you remember the murder trial of Sherry Wolf? I don't know if many of you do. But it came up. Her ex-husband had completely, and he complained, I should say, he complained repeatedly to his lawyer about the way he was treated when he tried to exercise his visitation rights with his children. He would go and try to pick them up, and he said he was brutally treated every time he went to pick his children up. Finally, the lawyer suggested that he hide a recording device under his shirt before going to see his ex-wife's house and pick any, when he was picking up the children, that he should start the recorder so that he would have proof of being berated and abused when he would want to pick his children up. Little did he know that the first time he wore the device was the time that they planned on murdering him. Before entering the house, he switched on the recorder and went in and sat down on the couch. When he did, his wife, his ex-wife, the new husband and another relative attacked him from behind and repeatedly beat him over the head with an iron bar. On the recording, you can hear the sounds of the blows striking his head 
and his groans continued until he died. The district attorney, when he turned and addressed the jury at the trial of the wife, said, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, Sherry Wolf is convicted by her own silence on this recording. The whole time you can hear her ex-husband being beaten, she said nothing. Now he was dead. But even though he was dead, through the recording, he was a witness at his ex-wife's murder trial. And all throughout our lives, we are witnesses to either being a true witness to Jesus or a denial of witness to Jesus. Jesus' important words when he said, he that denies me, whether by words or by actions before my father, him will I deny also, ever knowing. And I'm speaking that to myself. Those are words that kind of haunt as I was preparing this. I have to ask myself that question. What witness am I to Jesus? And then we need to throw off everything that hinders. If you were to read the 11th chapter of Hebrews telling about some of the great hopes and heroes of faith, most of us would be inspired. We are challenged to get in there and run the race with them. But that doesn't guarantee that we will actually do it. Most of us in our hearts really want to run the race. Well, don't we? Those who have gone before us have passed the torch. They've given us a heritage and a faith to carry on. We think about him number 222. Faith of our fathers living still in spite of dungeon, fire, and sword. Oh, how our hearts beat high with joy whenever we hear that glorious word. The refrain, the refrain for that. Faith of our fathers, holy faith. We will be true to thee till death. But sometimes there are things in our lives that hinder us from doing it. We know that we got to think about what Paul says in Hebrews. He says, first of all, we need to throw off everything that hinders. Or another Bible translation puts, lay aside every weight that we have in our lives. And there's a second thing that he tells us to get rid of, the sin that so easily entangles us. We know that Jesus, in his life, encountered Judas, who, I imagine when he was selected, followed Jesus. But there was something that entangled him, that enticed him. And it must have been that love of money, that he was willing to give up Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. I wonder how many people today find themselves entangled and are thinking, well, that's just the way I am. I can't change. And after all, a lot of other people are just like me. We beg you this morning, don't go down that path. We ask you to throw off everything that hinders and fix your eyes on Jesus. Set your sights on things above. Uh, do you remember being young and having your mother say, look at me when I'm talking to you? But you didn't want to. Why? Because you knew you were wrong. But what does Jesus say? Set your sights right here. Focus on me. Set your sights on Jesus.
God says, put your sights on my son. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. We know that we are to hear him, that we're to follow him. Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Jesus also says, that you come through the Father through me. That is the one way through me. I wonder if sometimes Jesus is speaking to us and saying, would you look at me for a change in your life? Fix and focus your eyes on me. So we look at this in our lives, and we, we look at I'd like to end with one last illustration. I understand that there was, a, um, there was a story told of a student who was stopped by a highway patrolman for speeding. The officer told him, I'll give you a choice. You can either take the ticket and appear in court, or you can come sit in the back of my car and look at a few pictures. The student happily replied, I'd love to look at your picture album if it means keeping me out of court. The student was handed an album that had accidents. And it showed the severity of the accidents. And it also showed the severity of the people that were in those accidents. And they were not censored. They got the true showing of the picture and how the harm was to these individuals. The student later said, I wish I would have taken the ticket. Do you know why? Because when we look at the results of our mistakes, we generally don't like what we see. And that young man was shaken by what he saw. I am shaken by the words of the rich man when he says, send others to warn. Send others to warn. In Hebrews, we're studying, we're coming to the verses that say, if how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So that we ponder today. That is why we need to fix our eyes on Jesus and remember that price he paid for our sin and the love of God that Jesus came to save us from our sin. And one day, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will be erased. So bravely run the race that we see Jesus. Jesus asked, what shall we profit? if we gain the entire world but lose our very own soul? We had asked that question, would it be worth it? If there's anyone in need of the invitation this morning, you have the opportunity to gather, to come together and forward and ask for the prayers of the congregation and be buried with him in baptism as we stand and sing our song of invitation. <laughs>